All right, we're continuing in John chapter 8. We've been going through the Gospel of John expository lessons. And this section in John chapter 8, there are three contrasts. There's light versus darkness. We talked about that in the previous lesson. There's slavery versus freedom. We'll talk about that one, that in this lesson. And then truth versus lies. And the one who tells the truth versus the liar. And we'll talk about that. The plan is the next lesson. So uh, I want to st- start by reading John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. And I'm reading from the New King James. And there's some very famous line in here. Uh, Starting in verse 31, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So this is talking about slavery versus freedom. And uh, of course, there's, it starts off with a conditional statement, if. There are lots of promises and statements in scripture, but whenever it says if, I want to pay attention to that. There's a condition here. Uh, This passage right here is difficult for me to look at objectively because uh, I've heard it so many times and I heard it, I memorized it in the the NIV version where it says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. And we use that scripture to make a certain point. And I think many people in this room would be in the same boat and, and what was the point that we used this scripture to make? Think about that. To the Jews who believed him, if you hold my teaching, you're really my disciples, you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And the point that we use when we're studying the Bible with people is believing isn't enough. You have to obey his teaching. You have to hold to his teaching. So the contrast was between just believing and actually obeying of holding to his teaching. Okay, so that's what I was taught. That's what I've taught plenty of times. Let's just set that one aside. Now, here I am, years later. So I read the NIV for many years, and that was my framework. That's where I came out of. And I'm reading it in the New King James. It says, if you abide in my word. Well, I get a little different flavor when it says, if you abide in my word. So, a hold of my teaching, I equated with obedience, abiding, if you abide in my word. And there, there are pl- several places where Jesus uses the term about abiding. <clears throat> and and it conveys a little bit of a different feel. And so I looked at a bunch of different translations to see how do they translate it. Uh, uh, the New King James in, in ESV said, if you abide in my word. There are about five translations, including New American Standard, that says, if you continue in my word. Um, uh, uh, The NET says, if you continue to follow my teaching. One translation said, if you remain in my word. So what's the sense that you get from the other translations other than the NIV? 
If you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, if you continue to follow my teaching, if you remain in my word, the idea is not just, it's not belief versus obedience, but it's persevering and enduring over time. So I think Jesus is calling those who believe in him not just to obey his teachings, but to persevere in them over time. And I want to give you some examples I'm a skeptic. I question everything, including any bright ideas that I come up with. So I want to check them out. So I said, I'm not just going to look at a dictionary. I'm going to see where is this word here used other places in Scripture. So I can see for myself, what does it mean? Here are some places where the same word that's used, hold to, continue in, abide in. This is in John chapter 1, verse 33. We covered this earlier in the series. Uh, God God says that God told John the Baptist, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remain on him. That's the same word there, remain on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So the idea is that the Holy Spirit would come down and it would stay with Jesus. It would remain there. Another one, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus gives the instructions when he sends his disciples out to preach the word to the Jews. And the instructions he gives, he said, Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who, is, uh, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. The stay there is the same thing. You abide there. So the idea is... You go to a town, find a worthy person, and stay at that person's house until it's time to go someplace else. So the sense that I'm getting from where this word abide or remain or continue is, you're going to stay someplace. Okay. So when Jesus says, I think what he's saying is that, that you need to... To the Jews who believe in, if you remain in my teaching, if you continue in it over time, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And even in the NIV where it says, if you hold to my teaching, I think that's what he's saying, is if you hold to my teaching, meaning don't let go of it. So, I mean, even in that sense. But So that's the feel that I get, is this is all about continuing and persevering. Now, the other way I'll check things out is I'll look... At how do the early Christians understand this? Why do I care what the early Christians thought? Well, for one thing, I'm no Greek scholar, and the early Christians, that was their native language. So I think, how did they understand this when they were reading it? And then, in many cases, they're only a generation or two from the apostles, so they're closer to the original, original source. So I'll give you an example, something that Cyprian a uh, bishop in North Africa uh, who uh, died around the year 258 A.D. Uh, so he's referring to this passage in John. And I want to give you a, uh, how, what, some, the point that he was making, and this was in a work called On the Advantage of Patience or Perseverance. Okay, to give you an idea of what, how he took this. He said, It is the wholesome precept of our Lord and Master, He that endures, he said, to the end shall be saved. Now, Jesus says that in Matthew 24, 13, other places too. And again, if you continue, he says, in my word, you shall be truly my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So that's John 8. We just read that. 
He continues, We must endure and persevere, beloved brethren, in order that being admitted to the hope of truth and liberty, we may attain to the truth and liberty itself. So the idea is that you only gain, this is what Cyprian is saying, you're only going to gain the, the truth and the liberty that's promised if you persevere. He's saying that's what Jesus was saying there. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm working with this scripture because it's so familiar, but my thinking has adjusted based on how the word is used elsewhere and how, it, how it's, it's uh, uh, translated uh, every, everywhere else and how, how Cyprian understands this. So the idea is that we must not just obey teachings of Jesus, but we must remain obedient to the teachings of Jesus. And this is actually... This is, Jesus says it here, he says it in Matthew 24, and it's throughout the New Testament scriptures. One of the greatest places that I think talks about perseverance, the importance of perseverance, is in Hebrews chapter 10, 11, and 12. Hebrews 11 is the famous hall of heroes. This is what it means to live a life of faith, but the whole reason for that that discussion about what does it mean to live a life of faith starts off with the discussion about the importance of perseverance. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, the introduction to that. So why, why it's important for us to remain in the teachings of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. This is the introduction to Hebrews chapter 11, the, 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 uh, uh, the section about faith. Hebrews chapter 10, 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated and endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, for you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who's coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So the just or the righteous shall live by faith. The idea here is that, and this is really important, is that faith is a way of life. It's not just believing something for a moment, but it's a way of life. It says the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And the contrast is, but if he shrinks back, I'll not be pleased with him. That's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2. And I once uh, played a, a trick on a friend of mine here. I was teaching a class of, of teachers. I read this passage and I said, uh, uh, show me in your Bibles. This is a group of teachers. I said, show me in the Bibles where it says the righteous shall live by faith. My righteous one shall live by faith. And so they, they said Habakkuk chapter 2. And I said, okay, now show me where it says, but if he draws back, my soul will not be pleased with him. And I said, I can show it to you in my Bible, but uh, could you please, I'd like anyone at the end of this class to show me in their Bible. And so uh, no one could find that passage. 
And one of the people in the class realized that uh, I have a tendency to play tricks on people. And he says, let me see that Bible you're reading. There must be something about that Bible. And sure enough, it's because it's from it, the Septuagint in, the, in, in Habakkuk chapter 2. That's what it says, is that my righteous one will live by faith. But if he shrinks back, I'll not be pleased with him. So people ask, why do you read a Bible that has that funny Septuagint Old Testament? It's because, so I can follow along with the New Testament writers when they're quoting from the Old Testament, because that's typically what they're doing. So that's the choice, is are you going to live by faith as a way of life, or are you going to fall back or draw back? And I like... The, the description here about Moses was talking about all the elements of faith. What does it mean to live a life of faith? And one of the many examples it gives is Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 27. This is a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful picture here. It says, by faith he, referring to Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So this is kind of a a deep mystery. He endured seeing the one you can't see. So this is a a beautiful picture. He had his eyes fixed spiritually on God, which is what enabled him to endure and make it to the end. So he's an example. He's a hero for us. And, And the conclusion of Hebrews, of this whole discussion about of faith, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses, says, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about all these great heroes of faith, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnared us, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. And then it points to the example of Jesus, who endured the cross, uh, and it says, uh, uh, it, it's, it says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So this is a, this is a challenge for Christians that, that over time we can not only face trials and temptations, but we can just get weary and discouraged. We can get worn out by life and the trials of life. And it says you got to make sure, be like the heroes of, of faith in the Old Testament. You've got to persevere. That's what Jesus was, I think that's what Jesus was saying. If you, if you abide, if you continue in my teachings, you'll be set free. Just like here, we can't become weary and discouraged and give up the race. We have to persevere following the example of, of Moses and Jesus here. To continue to love God with our whole hearts and following the teachings of Jesus all the way to the end. Now, this expression, freedom, Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, the whole idea of freedom is something that really resonates with me. We've got a big event coming up on Tuesday here. People all over the country are excited about it because this is the big midterm elections and the people are, you got both sides are are uh, warring against each other. Is a you know tremendous, tremendous uh, conflict about that. And I, it reminds me the first time I this will this will this will uh, scare some people here probably, but the, the first time I voted was uh, 1972, 
And I was living out in California, and, and I freedom was so important to me, I registered not as a Democrat or Republican, but as a member of the Peace and Freedom Party in California. <laughs> and in the presidential election, I wrote in the name of the libertarian candidate because I, I, wanted, I wanted to be left alone, basically. This is what I wanted is just... Can the government just please leave me alone? I don't want to fight in a war. I don't want to be paying these taxes, all these things. So just leave me alone. Let me live my life the way I want to live. So freedom was a huge value to me in my 20s. So this whole thing about Christ is going to set me free. Well, this is a good thing. Well, what is he, but what does he mean by freedom? Freedom to me meant leave me alone to do what I want. Okay, I'll be honest with you. That's... That was my great ideal for political... In fact, I, at one point I quit my engineering job to work on political campaigns for libertarians because I just wanted to be left alone. That's basically basically it. So uh, obviously I'm not in politics, haven't had anything to do with politics for, for, for a long time. But, but freedom, the idea of freedom really resonated with me and I think it resonates with Christians today but it means all kinds of different things. You say, oh, we believe in freedom in Christ and, and things like that. Well, what do you mean by that? It was confusing to the, the people that Jesus was talking to. They said, what do you mean you're going to set us free? We already are free. We're not slaves of anybody. I mean, they're, they're under Roman domination at the time, and... There was a time when they were they were captive in, in Babylon and in Egypt, but they're they're just saying, hey, we've never been slaves of anybody. What are you talking about? You're going to set us free. Obviously, Jesus is talking about spiritual slavery and bondage, not physical, but they're missing it. And then he says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, I have a particular, you know, one of many causes in life is uh, to, to eliminate confusion, I think one of, one of the most important things Christians can do is use biblical words whenever you possibly can so that what you're talking about gets put in the context of Scripture. And I'll give you one of my, my uh, 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 pet uh, uh, causes as far as that goes. Remember, many years ago, uh, someone was talking in a church setting about their difficulty in getting away from sexual immorality and pornography and things like this. And the person explained, I have an addiction to immorality, pornography, and so forth. And I thought, you know, the Bible doesn't say very much about addiction. And I thought, you know, what does the word addiction mean? Addiction, I think, is a, it's like a medical problem, isn't it? An addiction, like a drug addiction, your your body, your 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 body chemistry is is uh, is tied into this. I think about that. The the definition of addiction by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, it said, it's a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. And it goes on, and uh, it says it's characterized by an Ill inability to consistently abstain. Impairing behavior, craving, diminished recognition of significant problems. And it says, like other chronic diseases, addiction often involves in the cycles of relapse and remission. So an addiction is considered a disease. Okay? The term that Jesus uses about in describing sin, he says, anyone 
who sins is a slave to sin. So he doesn't use the word addiction. And you may think this is playing with words, but I think it's significant. And I, I made a point. I said, you know, rather than using the term addiction, could you use the term enslavement? Because that's what Jesus talks about. Anyone who sins is enslaved to sin, or to say bondage. You're in bondage to sin. So I think it's really important that we use biblical terms because when you talk about enslavement, it reminds us that there is someone out there who actually wants to enslave us, which is Satan, who wants to take us captive and who doesn't want to let us go. And if we also put it in the context of anyone who sins is a slave to sin, then the solution is going to involve a spiritual solution, which is repentance. It's going to require the grace and assistance of God. It's going to require self-control, prayer, maybe fasting. So you're, it's more we're looking at spiritual problems by using biblical words. Another thing I'd like to, 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 in connection with this, all the discussion about freedom, the expression spiritual freedom or freedom in Christ means all kinds of things to different people. Okay, uh, I'll give you three examples. One is, when it talks about freedom, in the New Testament it says we're no longer bound to the law of Moses. We are free of the law of Moses. And Galatians talks about that several places in the New Testament. Amen. That's absolutely true. We are no longer subject to the law of Moses. We're free from that, the requirements of the law. Another way I've heard the expression of freedom used is that we are now free. We are not under law. We don't have to follow any laws or rules. The Christians just follow their consciences, follow their hearts, that we no longer are bound by any laws whatsoever, that we've been set free from not only the law of Moses, but any laws. Uh, however, let's remember what Jesus said. In Matthew 7, 23, he said that there will be people who perform miracles in his name. And he, he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So, it, it, Jesus is going to set us free, but does that mean we're going to be free from, uh, from obeying any laws or rules? Clearly not. Same, same thing when he explains in Matthew 13 in the parable of the, the, the wheat and the tares. He explains what the day of judgment is going to be like in uh, Matthew 13, verse 41. He says, The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. So there will be people in the kingdom of God, in the church, who are living lawless lives and they will continue there into the end, but he says in the end they will be cast out and thrown into the furnace of fire. And it's obvious what he's talking about there. They're going to be cast into the fire of hell. So those who practice lawlessness, who are in the kingdom of God, are going to lose their salvation at the end. So that's pretty disturbing. So the freedom that Jesus is talking about is not freedom from following his, his commands and his rules. And It doesn't mean living a lawless life. 
There's another way that I've seen the, the, the idea of the, the freedom that we have, the freedom that Jesus offers expressed, particularly in, in evangelical circles, uh, people who follow uh, Reformation theology, that they'll teach that we are free from the consequences of sin. All right? That Christ has set us free from sin, meaning we're free from the consequences of sin. In other words, someone can say, thank God that Jesus paid the price for all my sins, past, present, and future, and because of the grace of God, I'm now free from the punishment of my sins, no matter how I live my life. Okay? I mean, it's a misunderstanding of the grace of God, and it clearly goes against what Jesus taught. Uh, what is the purpose of God's grace? Is it a free pass when we sin that we don't have to pay the price for our sins? Uh, Paul, who wrote Ephesians 2, 8 and, 8 and 9, it talks about, you know, we're saved by grace. Paul, who wrote that, let's turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It's all on the subject of how do we understand the, the freedom that we have, and how does that tie in with the grace of God? In Titus chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 11. This is a little different understanding of the grace of God than, <clears throat> than uh, uh, many, many people uh, uh, would like to focus on. Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good work. So, grace of God isn't a blank check that covers us no matter how we live. It says the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The grace of God is the favor of God, the blessing of God that helps us and strengthens us away from living the old way of life. I taught a class recently, Dave was talking earlier about the Exodus map lesson that we had a few weeks ago. I taught a class on that to a, an apologetics group that was meeting on, on the Harvard campus. And, uh, you know, of course, we're going, we, we go through how the, the story of the Exodus is foreshadowing the Christian life. And Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 10 about, you know, it's all, all the things from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Paul explaining the story of 1 Corinthians 10, and he's saying... Uh, you know, all those people were baptized into Moses, you know, they crossed the Red Sea. They were all eating the same spiritual food and same spiritual drink. However, God was not pleased with most of them. They didn't make it to the end, the goal, the promised land. He says, this is a lesson for us. So I taught this story, and, and there were uh, many people in the room when I was teaching it were from evangelical background. And, and one uh, sister raised her hand and politely said at the end of the class, well, she said, you know, it almost sounds like, it almost, like you couldn't be saying this, but it almost sounds like you're saying that 
Something we do after we become Christians could have an impact on our eternal salvation. And I said, well, I'm not saying that. That's what Paul is saying, okay? Paul is saying, he's saying that he wants to make sure he doesn't get disqualified. That's the whole point of what he's making. But uh, it's obvious the person who raised the question, and we got into a rather robust discussion and Elizabeth is, is smiling here. She, she was there and got to see it. We got into a rather robust discussion afterwards, uh, uh, wide-ranging throughout the, the New Testament, about what the Scriptures actually teach about this. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is the, the view that most people have about freedom, uh, is, uh, is that we are, that the Christ has liberated us from the consequence of sin, and, and now... Uh, we we uh, we we're free. Thank God, this is wonderful. But but actually, no. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, and we are saved by God's favor. The favor is helping us to turn away from ungodliness, and we're saved by faith. But faith is a way of life, as it explains in Hebrews chapter ten, which involves obedience and persevering to the end. Peter spoke about this, uh, you know, I think most people consider honestly the, 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 the lifestyle and the message of Christians who are serious about following the teachings of Jesus, the world considers this to be rather oppressive. Okay, people want freedom. They want freedom. I want to be able to do what I want. I want to be able to have sex with whomever I want. I want to be able to marry whomever I want, whatever. People want, they equate freedom with the ability to do what I feel like doing. And so the rules of Christ seem to be hampering freedom. But the, the, the picture of freedom in the scriptures is different than what the world is seeking. It's a different kind of freedom. And let's, I want to look at what Peter had to say, 2 Peter chapter 2. It's a new way of looking at freedom and slavery. I hope that we can take the high road with the people in the world who think that uh, we're the ones who are, who are the killjoys and the ones who, who are trying to control everybody and, and that, that Satan is the one who's, who's your friend who's, who's offering freedom. Peter talks about people who were creeping into the church at that point in time and uh, proclaiming that kind of a message. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, it says, When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who've actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty... They themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. <clears throat> for if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, if they are again entangled in them and overcome, the later end is worse for them from the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, and this is rather two rather colorful proverbs here, a dog returns to his own vomit, 
and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So, he's explaining here, Peter's explaining some things about what real, he says these people are offering you freedom. But this isn't freedom, this is bondage what they're offering. And uh, it's a really important uh, line that he uses here. He says that, um, by whom a person is overcome, by him also he's brought into bondage. So the question is, if you're controlled by something, including by your own appetites and by the desires of your own flesh, you're not a free person. You're a slave. The people who are controlled and overcome by their own desires and flesh, fleshly appetites, he says, those are the people that are slaves. The Christians who are living lives of self-control, we're the ones who are really free. This is a different picture of freedom. He says, they're offering you freedom, but that's not it. And then he gives a, a wonderful pictures here of the, of the life of someone who is enslaved to following the desires of their flesh. And he says, it's like a pig that's been washed off. I mean, obvious uh, to me, it's an obvious allusion to baptism. You've been washed. A pig that's washed off goes back and dives back into the mud again of this world. And then a dog. This is pretty disgusting. We lived in Albania, which had a lot of wild... You know, people think of dogs as these uh, you know, beautifully manicured pets that are walked along and people clean up after them. In Albania, it wasn't like that. Okay, In Albania, the dogs were wild animals that lived on garbage and, you, and they sleep in the daytime and you don't want to mess with them at night. So the dogs were, dogs were uh, a scare, scary creatures. So, and they eat, and they eat garbage, they eat anything. So the picture here is, is a dog... Uh, not a pet dog, a dog who is uh, probably a wild dog who vomits something bad up that it's eaten, probably some rotten meat or something like that or some garbage, it vomits it up, and then it goes back and licks up its vomit again. Now, how disgusting is that? Okay, sorry, we're, we're supposed to have a uh, potluck after this, but, uh, <laughs> but this is what he's talking about. He said, this is what it's like, people who have been liberated and who are overcome and enslaved to their passions again and who go back into the world. He said they're brought into bondage. This isn't any this isn't freedom. This is disgusting. Paul uses similar language in Titus chapter 3. Let's let's turn there. You got to make sure we have a clear picture of what what real freedom is all about, the kind of freedom that Jesus is offering. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, 
and things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So I want to focus on what it says in the beginning. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived. deceived. It says, serving various lusts. Okay? You say, wait a minute, I want freedom. He says, no, no, no. You're, not, you're not free. You're serving the lusts of your flesh. In some of the translations, it says, you are enslaved to, not only a servant of, but you're a slave of your lusts and passions. And he's warning them that, that they were, they had made themselves slaves or servants to their lusts and pleasures. They weren't free people, but we have been freed by Jesus. Um, I love the uh, the conversation that, that Paul had with, with Governor Felix. Let's turn to Acts chapter 24. I want to share this just because I really, I think it's, it's uh, what Paul says and then Felix's response to it, I think is priceless. Acts 24, read verses 24 and 25. So Paul's a prisoner here. And verse 24, And after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and having heard him concerning the faith of Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a more convenient time, I'll call you. So this is, this is crazy. Paul is the prisoner, Felix is the governor, and Paul is scaring Felix. What's he scaring him with? He's scaring him because he's talking about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. He's scaring him because he's telling him about the judgment. Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And why does he dismiss him? Because he doesn't want to live a righteous life and he doesn't want to live a self-controlled life. But this is the gospel message that he preached. Righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come. And it's disturbing. He says, go away. Uh, I'll tell you when I want, want you to come back later on. So uh, you know, this is the gospel message that we need to be living and, and preaching to others. Is that people need to become free of what has mastered them in life. They need the message of true freedom, that they can be free from their their control of slavery that they have to their own appetites and their own flesh. And it calls us to live a life of self-control, of self-restraints. We have to say no to the flesh, and we can do it. The grace of God will, will, will allow us to do that. Don't be like Felix who just said, go away, I don't want to hear anymore. There's a quote I want to, want to uh, kind of close off with from uh, Clement of Alexandria. He's a teacher of the church, obviously, in Alexandria in Egypt. He lived about the year uh, 150 to 215. And there's a work called uh, uh, Exhortation to the Heathen. So he's, he's challenging the unbelievers. And... Uh, and this whole theme of, of what real freedom is all about, spiritual freedom, uh, definitely comes out here. And I'm going to read from this because I, I like the way he words it. So he's talking to the unbelievers. He said, I would ask you, 
If it doesn't appear to you monstrous that you men who are God's handiwork, who've received your souls from him, who belong wholly to God, should become subject to another master, and what's more, serve the tyrant instead of the rightful king, the evil one instead of the good one. For in the name of truth, what man in his senses turns his back on good and attaches himself to evil? What then is he who flees from God to consort with demons? Who that may become a son of God prefers to be in bondage? Or who is it that pursues his way to Erebus, that's in Greek mythology, the, the lord of the dark world, basically, the underworld, when it's in his power to be a citizen of heaven and to cultivate paradise, walk about in heaven and partake of the tree of life and immortality? And cleaving his way through the sky in the track of the luminous cloud, behold, like Elijah, the reign of salvation. So he's saying, who's offering you slavery and who's offering you freedom? Why would you want to live as a slave to, to the wicked one? And then he describes what their lives are like. He said, some there are who like worms wallowing in marshes and mud in the streams of pleasure. Feed on foolishness and useless delights, men who are like pigs. For pigs, it is said, like mud better than pure water, and according to Democritus, are fond of dirt. Let us not be enslaved or become like pigs, but as true children of the light, let us raise our eyes and look to the light, lest the Lord discover us to be false. Let us therefore repent and pass from ignorance to knowledge, from foolishness to wisdom, from licentiousness to self-restraint, from unrighteousness to righteousness, and from godliness, godlessness to God. It's an ent- it is an enterprise of noble daring to take our way to God. And the enjoyment of many other good things is in, within reach of the lover of righteousness who pursues eternal life, especially those things to which God himself alludes. Speaking by Isaiah... There is an inheritance for those who serve the Lord. Noble and desirable is this inheritance, not gold or silver or fancy clothing which moth assails, and things of which which are assailed by the robber whose eye is dazzled by worldly wealth, but it's a treasure of salvation to which we must hasten by becoming lovers of the word. That's in uh, uh, Exhortation to the Heathen, Ananicene Fathers, Volume 2, page 198. So, just to wrap all this up, what does this mean for us, this offer of freedom which was baffling to the Jews who didn't think they were slaves? The first thing is, don't buy the lie of Satan that the world is offering you freedom and liberation and God's trying to keep you down in bondage. That's the same lie he peddled to Eve in the beginning. See slavery and freedom for what they really are. Peter was right. We are slaves to whatever has mastered us. That includes the flesh and pleasure. The only people who are free are people who have self-control and can say no to the flesh and turn away from sin. Jesus offers that kind of freedom to those who live lives of faith, that follow all of his teachings and are committed to following it all the way to the end of life. 
that grace is not unmerited favor that allows us to do anything we want. That grace is a blessing from God. That just like Paul said in, in Titus, it gives us the ability, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we can live sober and righteous lives. And those of us who are Christians, don't go back to the old life of being a, sl- a slime worm living in a swamp, or a pig diving back into the mud, or a vomit-eating wild dog. Don't do that. You've been freed from that way of life. Don't go back there. Stay out of the mud. Stay out of the swamp. Leave the vomit behind, the garbage that you had vomited out. And use this as an opportunity to take inventory of your life. Are you living as a truly free person or the kind of freedom that Jesus is offering here? Not freedom just from the, from the punishment of sin, but actually being free from the control of sin in your own life. Take inventory. Are you controlled by the appetites of the flesh? Food, alcohol, drugs, you name it. Media, including the internet, the pornography, or any of the enslaving things that are out there that want to take away your real freedom and live lives of self-control and proclaim the same message that Paul did to Felix that uh, to proclaim lives of, of preach the word of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus offers us not the phony freedom of the world or even of, the, of the, a lot of the religious world that doesn't understand the, the freedom that we're supposed to have. Amen.